to be here with you. Ah, oh, that was fun. Thanks. Like you too. <laughs> um, so good to be with you all today. Uh, we're going to get started on our next round two of the gift of discipleship. And with that, I'm going to start us in a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for a place like this that, that values um, equipping moms in truth. And so, Lord, thank you for the privilege of this room. Thank you for all the women that made this day happen, um, from the food to the greeters, to the parking lot runners, to the table leaders, to the leadership team um, that have given so much time to this. And Lord, I pray that that time not, would not be spent in vain. I pray that your word would not return void. I pray that you would edify our hearts, that you would nurture, encourage, and strengthen and train us in this time. It's in your name that we pray. Uh, ladies, my name is Allison Treadaway, and it is super fun to be with you today. Thank you. Um, if you're new here, um, you're like, why are there weirdos clapping in the audience? Um, I have had the privilege of being on the leadership team of The Nest for 11 years. And as of six weeks ago, my family and I relocated to Waco, Texas. And so I'm back. And so it's really fun to be with you. So thank you for that. Um, let me introduce my crew. Uh, this is Team Treadaway, hashtag Team Treadaway. Um, my husband, Marshall, and I, um, the bearded guy, we've been married for 14 years. We have Parker, who's in fifth grade, Callie, who's in third grade, and Tucker, who's in kindergarten. And so this room, most of you have a preschooler in your home, if not all preschoolers, which means zero to five. And so that's just saying that I'm a little bit ahead of you. I'm just ahead of you, and so I'm excited to talk to you about the gift it is to disciple our kids. And so as you can tell by this picture, we're a soccer family. My husband and I both grew up playing soccer and subsequently have now um, coached our children in soccer and have been since all of they were four. And so I say that to say I've coached a lot of soccer and I played a lot of soccer. And the most important game in my life that I've ever had the most privilege of participating in was the area playoffs my senior year of high school. And so our high school women's soccer team had just won the district. We were undefeated, which was the first time in the history, and I was a senior. And so it was really exciting. We go to the area playoffs. It's at our home field, and the game is intense. And, and it's nearing on the end, 90-minute game, 80 minutes in, and it's tied 0-0. I was the captain of our high school soccer team as well as a position I played was sweeper. And all that means is that role was critical in that you have forwards and midfielders and defenders, and then the sweeper is the last line of defense before the goalie. So my job is to clean up. If the ball or players get past my teammates, I'm to sweep up the mess and prevent them from getting to my goalkeeper. So 80 minutes into this intense game, and that happens. Two players, two opponents get past my teammates, and it's now time for me to do my job. And so I'm in the moment, and there's a girl with the ball, and this other girl's over here getting open. And so I go, like always, and I put pressure on the ball to force her to pass, so then I can intercept the ball, and then I can clear it and win the moment, right? Well, so I go put pressure on the ball. She does exactly what I anticipate. She passes to the other girl that's coming at me. But when she passes the ball, she chips it. She gets it in the air. So it's over my head. So I have a choice to make. I can either jump up and head the ball to clear it, or I can backpedal, control the ball in my body, and, and clear it out. And so in this moment, I hesitate and overthink. What should I do? What's the best option? Is it there? Do I hear? Where's the girl? Where's the ball? What's going on? The fans are crazy. And I hesitate long enough, and I overthink the decision just long enough that gravity takes over, and the ball drops. 
and it hits me on the top of my head, bounces backwards, and scores on my own team. Thank you. It was devastating. <laughs> devastating. And so I, I'm on the ground. It's like, no. As I'm watching the ball and my goalie dive, and I'm like, crushed by the weight of my miss, my failure. I've disappointed my team, my school, the crowds are, the stands are packed and I completely disappoint everybody and I'm laying there. And I start with that story because ladies, the most important game that you have the privilege of participating in is that of your kids' lives. And you play the most critical role in discipling your children. And I believe that the reason that holds us back, what is holding us back is that we overthink this great calling and we are allowing our failures to keep us out of the game. And so today, my excitement and my joy and privilege is to present to you four very simple words that I want you to memorize to help you as you shepherd and disciple the ones that are in your flock. These words are not my own. The amazing Watermark Family Ministry teams here, Wes Butler in the back, coined these. This is something that we have been planning and dreaming and thinking about and figuring out how do we best equip the parents of our body. And so these four simple words, I hope, is going to set you free and keep you from overthinking. And so the first word we're going to unpack today is model. The first part, word we're going to unpack today is model. You should have a handout. If you don't, you have some fill-in-the-blanks. Model. So in Titus 1.5, it says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Enos, and I am sure that it isn't now in you as well. So this passage is Paul, a great writer of the, um, of the New Testament, written a lot of the, wrote a lot of the New Testament. He's writing to Timothy, a younger man that he was discipling, what Mandy just talked about. And so he's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, Hey, I see in you this great faith, and it's sincere and it's active, and I saw it in your mom and your grandmother too. So he's acknowledging that this faith that his grandmother and his mother had was attractive, and Timothy caught on to that. And we learn in this passage is because that, that their faith was sincere, it was authentic, and it was clearly active because it was dwelling within them. It was not dwelt past tense, but it was in them. It was something that was active. And what's interesting um, is that the research is showing that 40 to 50% of our students, when they graduate and leave their homes and move on to college, 40 to 50% of them are not continuing with their faith and going to church and attending church. And if you unpack, if you read a book called um, The Sticky Faith, it's on your notes in the, the back, there's like a resource section. Sticky Faith, it says, um, they discuss that one of the main causes of kids not remaining in the faith and, and being a part of a church when they go off and um, they have their time as their own, one of the main reasons is because the, parent, the parents' lives, who their lives are not impacted by the things that they're hearing and seeing and participating in the church, the kids are going, what's the point? You go to church, but the other six days of the week, I don't it doesn't seem to be making any changes. And so kids look at that and go, why would I want to give my time to something like that? And so ladies, um, as moms, the most important part of discipling our kids is first that we would have an authentic and active faith. And so to counteract that, David Peniel, who's the student's ministry pastor here, um, he's been here for I don't know, 14, 12, 16 years, a long time. And one of the things he, as we were processing moving to Waco and we were talking about 
leaving the world-class student ministry program here, um, I was wrestling because my young one, my sixth grade, my fifth grader is about to be in sixth grade, which means he's a small group. And I'm, I was scared to leave something that was so, so valuable here at this church. And David looked at my husband and he's like, oh, friends, uh-uh. The single most number one common denominator amongst kids that I see that leave this church, that go on to college to live out their faith and it's active and attractive, it's authentic, are kids that come from a home where not necessarily both, but at least one parent is living an active and attractive faith. It's not amazing ministries at our churches, which are amazing and great. The kids programming here, starting blocks, all those things are world-class at this church. But that's not what's gonna make or break our kids' faith. The statistics is showing that it's actually the faith of the parent because you're the one they're interacting with on a regular basis. And so I I share that with you to encourage you. Is your faith one that, um, that is impacting your life, that is changing perhaps the trajectory of your plans? Is your faith that is one that is, that is changing you first? Because that's what it means to model um, and disciple our kids by modeling. The second word we're going to unpack is where we're going to spend the majority of our time, because this is definitely the number one question, is how do I train my kids? And what does it look like to, to actively disciple? The word we think of disciple means like it's an act of like I'm teaching my kids something. And to train is true. To train, I coach soccer like I've said. And so when I model for my children, my kids, how to properly pass a soccer ball, how to control it to head the ball, when I model and I teach with my words, I model, I show, and I use words, that is definitely the best tactic for them catching on, right? And so to train means to both model and now we teach. And so we talked about modeling and teaching and now we're gonna talk, talk about modeling and showing. Now we're gonna talk about teaching. And so how do we do this? Well, Deuteronomy 6, five through seven is hands down the best prescription. There's a lot of passages in scripture that talks about um, to parents to raise your kids in the instruction of the Lord. But Deuteronomy 6, I love because it really clearly gives us some action items. In this passage, we see that um, he says, first, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your heart. So he's saying, hey, first you, mom and dad, first you. And now he says, impress them on your children. Talk with them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So ladies, um, how do we go about discipling, training our kids? It's simple, if, if we're living an active and authentic faith and, and we're in his word and he's impacting our life, then as we go about our days, we're pointing our kids back to Christ. It's not necessarily some family devotional or, or this particular Pinterest craft that's gonna be the, the deal breaker or the deal winner, right? It's that we're modeling as we're going, we're teaching them. We're out of the overflow of what we're learning, we're, we're pointing our kids back to Christ, right? That is what this is saying. And so when your kids are teeny tiny, zero to five, it's like, well, what does that look like? They don't have a lot of words or maybe they have a few words and like, what are they learning and how are they listening? So I'm going to give you some incredibly practical things that we did with our children when they were little. And some of them we're still doing to this day. And so how can we practically implement 
um, training our children. So guys, we have to think about our natural times and our flows of our day. So when we're already with our kids and spending time, so mornings and wake times and um, car times and the times we're just already with them. And so when they're little reading to them, my fifth grader still likes it when I read to him. He might be embarrassed that I told you that, but he does still love that. And so reading times, guys are natural. So in the times that you're already sitting down and reading those amazing Sandra Boyden books to your kids, also have in your uh, bag of tricks uh, these handful of books. My favorite ever is the read aloud Bible stories. I did not discover these till my third born was two, thanks to my dear friend who gifted them to him. They are fantastic. They're short, they're little, they're beautifully colored. Um, if you don't have them, I highly recommend the read aloud Bible stories. You just incorporate some time of reading them to them. Um, some other ones that are good are the Jesus Storybook Bible. And then there's a book, um, a devotional called Indescribable by, Chris, or by Louis Giglio. Those are also just incredible tools to have in your repertoire of, of what to read to your kids. So when you're reading to them already, you're snuggled up and you're reading, even when they're like not, like they're zero to 18 months, right? Like you're reading over them these things as you're sitting with them and you're around them, reading these books to them. Another thing that I learned from this group of women here at the nest was to have a holiday book basket. I mean, this was such a simple tool, but I have loved it. So in our home, we have a basket. Over the years, I've collected um, books that have to do with the seasons. So your Thanksgiving season and Christmas and Easter and springtime. And so I've collected holiday books and have a holiday book basket. And so then what I would do when Easter just passed, I go there and I have another basket that I put on the top of the bookcase. So the, the holiday book basket is away. And then on the top of the bookcase in our living room where the kids can reach it, I just have all my Easter books. And you'll see there's some Paw Patrol and Little Critter in there because those are hilarious and great too. Um, but there's also some really good truths in there. And so it's just there and it's out for that March and April. And then when we're sitting around, it's just right there in front of me. So I can point them out and point my kids back to truth. Um, another time that you're already naturally with your kids that you can point them back to Jesus is your, all your car times and your meal times. So I'm gonna give you a couple of simple little things that you can do with them um, to point them back to Christ. And so of course you hear all the time the music that you're ingesting in front of your kids, like keep it Christ-centered. Um, it doesn't have to be all the time, but it is good for you as it is for them to be just constantly surrounded by God's truth and his words. Um, just the other morning, um, Tucker was getting ready for school and he was singing this song that I love dearly by Bethany Bernard. And he's over there just singing it as he's getting ready. And I was like, what song is he singing? I'm like, oh yeah, that's the one that's like playing all the time. And he's just singing along about how God is with him and just all these great truths. And I don't even know if he knew what he was saying, but it's on his mind, it's on his heart, right? And so music is important. I play these two really silly games. You know, I spy, I spy with my little eye something blue. Well, I'd say I spy with my little eye something that God created. And you know, it's everything. So whatever your kid answers, the grass, you're right, it's a grass, okay, you go. I spy some, you know, just really silly. We would play the ABCs of who God loves, i.e. everybody. So what's fun is like, A, who does God love that starts with A? Annie, that's right, our friend Annie, who does that be? And then like, we would just go through the ABCs. Guys, it's a great time killer when you're in the car. Um, it's a great time killer at mealtime. 
Um, this is really simple. My kids were gifted the National Geographic magazines, and it's just all about animals. What kid doesn't love animals? And, um, and I keep them in my car. So we have like a lot, and I keep them in the back seat back pockets of my car. And they're constantly thumbing through them when we're driving around. And they'd be like, Mama, did you know that Tuna Turtle was born in Africa? And I'm like, no, I didn't. That's so cool. Man, isn't God creative? So it's just subtle, pointing our kids <clears throat> back to Christ. Um, when my kids were teeny tiny, Watermark did um, like some Bible verses to memorize throughout the summer. Um, this, is, this was them. They did not make them. I did. I just merely typed them up, printed them, and put them on a piece of construction paper. And I would just post it in our main gathering area, the kitchen, where you're at like 14 times a day, right? Picking up and cleaning up and making more meals. And they were there in the refrigerator. And I just say it out loud. And they eventually would catch on, and, and it was there posted just as much for them it was, as it was for me. And then over time, we actually ended up memorizing these nine verses, which was really cool. And it was merely just, it was in front of me. And so memorizing scripture is a great time, something you can do. And in the car, I would put, um, here if you attend Watermark, you get like their, um, like a handout at the beginning of the month that tells you like what the kid is learning. And so I would post that on my car visor or I would put it on my refrigerator and just over time, you'd be like, hey, what's the word of the month? Integrity, what does integrity mean? And, and I would help, and if they didn't, when they're little and they can't answer you, you answer for them in their voice. Oh, what is First John 1, whatever say? It says, oh, and you say it for them. Yay, it's funny. And so you're just constantly putting it in front of them. Um, another great resource a lot of my friends have is tabletop truths or little placemats that you can get that have Bible verses on them. And so again, I'm giving you some really simple practical things like discipleship isn't necessarily this Pinterest thing that you saw that you now go and create that you sit down with your two-year-old and do. Let's be honest, two-year-olds don't sit that much, or at least mine didn't. And so again, discipleship when they're young is just incorporating it into your already natural times of the day that you're interacting with them. And so lastly, um, summer's approaching. And so typically that means our schedules are a bit freer. Um, you might, kids might be out of school or preschool, et cetera. And so as, you, um, as your kids age, figuring out some natural rhythms where your times are slower, so holidays and summers. And so those are the times that I do pick out to be a bit more intentional with my kids. And so back in the day, Watermark did this thing called Significant Summer. All of the content still on the website. And these four words are something they encourage families to do together. In the summer when you're together, rest, play, serve, grow. I still to this day use those four words. So as I look at my summer and I structure it, how are we gonna rest this summer? What does resting even look like for the age and stage of my family? Okay, then we're gonna look at serving. Serving, how this summer, serving is really hard. It's even when they're little, it's hard because they're little, right? And then as they get older, it's hard because they have activities. And so it's always and forever gonna be hard to teach our kids how to serve others. And so where can, in the summer, I found that's a great time to go, what is one thing we can do this summer to go and serve intentionally something in our community? So we plan something. Another thing that we do in the summer is grow. Grow stands for like spiritually deepening growth, spiritual growth. And so one of the things I stole from Andy Cisco, well, I didn't steal it, she shared it with us and I implemented it, is I have my book basket and the summer is kind of empty. And so instead I put in there any kind of books I have that are Bible, God, Jesus pointing. And then I also found these really excellent um, like uh, coloring books that are scripture coloring books. And so I pack, pack this little bucket full of things. And then in our slower times in the mornings, 
I, I would get up and spend time with the Lord differently at a different time of the day. But then at some point in our morning, I don't say, hey, guys, gather around for Jesus time. It's like after breakfast, as it's starting, I just go over there and I grab a coloring book and I sit down. You know what they do? They sit down and they color too. And we talk about it. Or I sit down a book and say, hey, and I just start reading it. And you know what they do? They just come to you. And they are there with you. And now we're spending some time with Jesus. And I'm pointing them to there. So that one picture was my daughter sitting next to me doing her Bible coloring. And it's amazing. And it's so fun. Um, holidays, of course, are a great time to intentionally point your kids back to Christ. I'm not going to talk about that much here because it's been tackled. On your handout, there's um, some audio recommendations. If as the holidays get closer, you can go listen to those and get some really strategic activities for your kids. Um, I think the number one way. Number one, if you remember anything I say about this topic and training and how we can train our kids, the number one thing for you to do is to model for your kids seeking forgiveness, hands down. I think the number one discipleship tool is humility and seeking forgiveness. Hey, buddy, earlier today when mama raised her voice at you in the way that I did, it wasn't right. Would you forgive me for that? I think the number one way that we disciple our kids is by modeling the same things that we're asking of them to do in our homes. Um, the third area, oh, um, and so I share all this with you, and my same high school soccer coach that was our coach whenever the senior year area playoffs deal, he was a football coach actually, and like we ran off our high school women's soccer coach, it was a really sad deal, kind of embarrassing. But they didn't have anybody, so he came on, he was a football coach, and so he used a lot of football language even though, because he didn't know soccer, and he was just, girls, girls, just tackle something, just tackle something, and we're like, you can't tackle in soccer, like, you can't, like, very tackle, and what he meant was, like, you know, either get the ball or mark girl, like, just cover something, and so I give you these ideas, and you probably could sit around this table and share 40 more ideas of ways that you are or plan to or have seen disciple kids, and my inspiration to you is just tackle something, pick the easiest, if you don't know what to do, pick the simplest thing that's most easy to activate tomorrow and start it and then be free. Um, and the reason we want to capitalize on our time with our kids is because the days are long, but the years are short. And before you know it, your kid's jelly bean jar is going to be half full. And what I mean by that is the lighting is a little tough, but those are my three kids. And each jelly bean that represents the, week that the weeks they have left in my home before they go away to college right? It's, I don't, I don't know why we do it, frankly, because it makes me cry all the time, but it's in my kitchen and it's there strategically because when I'm exhausted and worn out and, you know, and I don't want to, it's like, okay, half full, Parker's jar. It's half full, right? And so this is why it's important that we capitalize on not these grand moments of discipleship, but the day in and the day out, right? The quantity turns to quality. It will, I guarantee you, all those little times you're on the floor, reading the book, come here, guys, come here. You're doing the things. That turns into quality when they're 11, right? Oh, girls, who knew I was going to cry so much. Okay, the third word that we're going to look at is probably, I say that about all the words, my favorite. Anyways, the third word we're going to tackle. So model, train, and pray. The third word is pray. Um, my favorite passage about this, I love Mark 9, 14 through 29. Jesus has discovered a dad that has been unable to help his son. And he has done all the things and he's gone to the disciples and they were unable to heal him. And Jesus finds him and says, how long has your son, how long has he been like this? 
and that dad answers from childhood. He's often thrown, it, it has often thrown him into the fire, into the water um, to kill him. But if you can do anything, would you please take pity on us and help us? Jesus says, if I can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And the boy's father says, I do believe, but please help me overcome my unbelief. What I love about the imagery of this passage is one, a father, a parent's commitment to wanting to make their child better. The heart, the love, the desire we have to help our kids is so apparent here and I love that. But what I also love is that this is an example of, isn't this what we do? When there's something going on in our kid's life, we're researching and asking friends and doing this and if I just do this and I just do this and we're looking for the ways to fix, which is, which is not a bad thing. But do we forget to go to our father who says, come to me, right? And so ladies, let us remember to prioritize praying for our little ones. Prioritize praying for our little ones. And so a very few practical ways to do this when your kids are young. Um, what I, how I started um, with my young ones is I just kind of picked up one verse for my boys and one for my girl. And I posted it in their room. Not in a cute way. We didn't have a lot of money, and I was kind of creative back in the day. I don't have time for that these days. But I was kind of creative. And this is the verse, um, uh, Proverbs 31, 24, is what's posted in Callie's room. Um, and the ladies back there. Um, it's posted in Callie's room, and it says, Strength and dignity are our clothing, and she smiles at the future. And so when she was little, I just took some two-by-fours, and I painted that on there, and I posted it in her room. So when I was in there with her, the bazillion times, rocking, napping, feeding, all of that, I'm there, okay, Lord, may she be a woman who is strong in you. Raise my daughter to have dignity. May she find her hope in you, her future smile at it, because her hope is anchored in you. And so it's just posted where I see it, so I remember to pray. I did Joshua 1.9 for my boys, just that they would be strong and courageous and not be terrified, because the Lord, their God, is with them wherever they go. I prayed that over them. And then as they've gotten older, it's transitioned. Oh, so I, that's what that was, sorry. I had like cute ones, and then eventually I went to the full verse in Callie's room. And then this, um, that one. And then this one, um, I transitioned to this for my boys now, that they would be on alert and they would act like men that they would stand firm in the faith, be strong, and let all they do be done in love. So I just have posted that in their room. And it's just as much as for them and as it is for me so that I would remember when I'm with them in there, I'm praying, I'm praying over them. Um, in uh, the early, in 2007, <clears throat> Todd Wagner, the senior pastor here, did a series called The Gifts I'd Give My Children. And, um, and it's a 10-part <laughs> ten series. And each sermon is like a... a the gift I'd give my children. And it's things like have a passion for prayer, have a grateful heart, be a man of your word. And I took those sermons and I just did the statement and the Bible verse. And I like typed that up and printed it and like framed it with a dollar general store dollar picture frame and had it in his room. Again, so I'm sitting there on the chair countless times, nursing, feeding, whatever. Scripture's in front of me and I'm praying these traits over my kids. Um, there's also, I think you have a handout, Mom Prays Truth. Do you have that? Sweet. So that's what I gave you today. So that is just a list of things that moms, that we pray truth over our kids. And so I'm giving you these examples. Again, don't do all of them. You do not need to go home and post a Bible verse in their room. You do not need to go home and listen to the 10 sermons I just gave you. And then also pray this. I'm giving you options. The point is, ladies, let's prioritize praying over our kids. And just tuck this little mom prays truth in there. Wherever you spend time with the Lord, like your journal, Bible, whatever, tuck it in there. And the first thing I do every morning, I open my Bible and my journal, and I have something tucked in my journal for my kids. And I just pray, Callie, 
Parker Tucker. And then I start. It's not this long, luxurious thing. It's just a part of my natural day. The fourth and final word that we're going to assess is trust. So model, pray, model, train, pray, trust. Model, train, pray, trust. I think single-handedly the most challenging part of being a mom is not being able to control everything. Ultimately, we can lead a horse to water, but we can't make him drink, right? And so the hardest part and the thing we have to get down correct, we have to get right, is that we can trust that God is good, he is kind, and he has the best interest of our kids in mind. And we can trust him. Um, Mamas, rest in knowing that although your role as parent is to disciple, your goal is faithfulness. When we stand before God, if that's really the way this works, if we stand before him, he's not going to say, so did Parker Callion trust your trust in me? He's going to ask, maybe, I don't know, hypothetically. It's going to be the question of, were you faithful to steward your kids towards Christ? Were you faithful to point him, them to Jesus? What they do with what I share with them, that's going to be on them. My job is to faithfully sow the seeds, pull the weeds, water, point them back. No, no, this way, this way, and this is why. This is why. And we can trust God is good and he's kind and he's going to give me what I need for the moment. And we can trust that those seeds will turn into trees in God's timing, in his ultimate timing. And so ladies, in closing, um, that game, that soccer game that we started with, they all gasped at, which made me really happy because it was really devastating, wasn't over. There's 10 minutes left in the game. So my team rallied around me. Come on, Allie, let's do this. Allie, camp. That was my name, camp. My main name, they call me camp. Camp, let's go. Come on, get up. We got to keep going. We can't quit now. We got to win this. It's like, yeah, so I was more pumped than, oh, you know, more pumped than ever, right? So we get up and the last second of the game, we get a penalty kick in their box, which means our team gets fouled and we get the ball to one person shooting against their goalie. And I have taken bazillions of these. And on my team, I was kind of the person that had first right of refusal of this shot. And so, man, that happens. And I'm running down the field and I make eye contact with my football coach. who's like 5'2 and like big burly. And I'm like, got it, coach. I'm on it. And he's looking at me like, oh, man, this is going to make or break her. Like, oh, do I let her, do I not? And I would not take no for an answer. Like he could tell in my face that I was taking this kick because I was going to redeem my team and myself, tie up the game, go into overtime, and off we go to win. I take the shot and I miss. Take the shot and I miss. And I can't even tell you how that felt. For the next few weeks, I literally am in a fog over a soccer game. But I was a senior, and that was kind of a big deal. And I was just in a fog. And I was constantly replaying the shouldas and the couldas and the oh, if I wouldas, right? And then my brother is seven years older, and he is out of the house and married at this time. And he had come around for whatever reason. And and he's like, Allie, you still hanging on that? And I'm like, God, I just, ah, if I would have only, you know. And uh, he listens, and then, like, I don't time passes. And, like, I'm not kidding you. Again, I'm in high school, and I'm in class. And I get a call from the front office that I have a visitor. So I go down to the office, and my brother's there with, like, this is balloon. That's what you did back then. I don't even know. It probably said, like, I'm your number one fan or get well soon or something like, like that. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, but he had a balloon. And he, what I remember, though, is what he said. He said, hey, sister, I love you. And you're missing out on the gift of the fact that your team won district for the first time in the history of your school. 
And um, I got this award for like all district player, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you, this award and this, that, and you're missing out on all the celebration of all of that because you're still stuck on this one failure. He's like, sister, get over it. You like the epitome of the high school dream for an athlete is to do this, this thing I got to privilege of doing. And you're missing out on all the celebrations because of that. And, and ladies, I think that's exactly what happens with us is we attempt to do something with our kids or maybe it's our own sin struggles or our own challenges or our own faults or things that are happening in our lives and we feel like it's gonna take us out of the game. We feel like our failures disqualify us. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to not get back up again. But that's why it's important and what Mandy said before, that we have women in this room, women in our lives to point us back to truth and say, hey, that's a lie. And you're missing out on the opportunity to disciple your kids and you need to get back up and try again. Maybe that, that devotional you read with them was a train wreck, but do something else. Just get back in there and do something again.